This podcast. All right. <laughs> we'll play. The Finley's on film. Yeah, you forgot for a moment. <laughs> I forgot where I was. Uh, all right. You were telling me a good story about mattresses. Oh, yeah, 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 man. That's uh, the secret to, uh, well, I used to masturbate like that. That was how I masturbated for like the first 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. When I was at home, you know, in a, in a quiet space. Just yep. a little dry humping on the mattress. That mm-hmm. was always, that was my technique. Wow. Yeah, for the longest time. Interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Yep. Um, it's, um, it's been make a uh, mattress loving <laughs> that's mattress the... loving happened so fast. It's been, um, just a little over 30 years since you never knows where to take me sometimes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, nothing springs to mind. Mm. Um, it's been a little over 30 years since, um, Rowdy Roddy Piper died, which yep. means that it's. What? Roddy Roddy Piper. I'm sorry. I'm, let me start over again. Please do that. It's been a little over a year since Rowdy Roddy Piper died. Yeah. Which oh, means... That hurts. Sorry. <laughs> I got Shit, confused. Oh, my God. I've been, I'm not really with it today. I've been, I'm, I've been a ghost fan club for a while. I'm a little... I'm getting a little sick, too. That's my excuse. But it's mm. been a little over a year since Rowdy Roddy Piper died, and, and which means it's been a little over 30 years since his infamous or locally infamous arrest in Fresno. Wow. Oh. Was not aware. Well, Rowdy Roddy I'm not Piper. Surprised, but I wasn't aware. Well, I don't know much about Rowdy. I got to be honest with you. Uh, this last wow. year, I've gotten into um, what's I forget the local sort of the amateur Mexican mask. Oh, that's Lucha. Lucha Lucha, Lucha Libre. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I've been to a couple of those matches, and I'm kind of into the the culture a little bit, but mm-hmm. not much. But I never was growing up like uh, WWF and oh, then WWE. Sure. I talk and, about this for a while. Yeah, I know. And so I know you are. So I'm I'm going to rely on you um, to identify. <laughs> Um, this this other guy he's, who it looks like his name is Morocco. Oh, he played the cowboy, I guess. Yeah, the fabulous uh, the uh, no, uh, what's it, the fabulous Morocco or something. Yeah, so so this was thirty years ago. This was nineteen eighty six. Okay, and he he and Roddy Roddy Piper were in Fresno, and they were at a local Mexican restaurant, and who was giving them free tequila. All fucking day. Sounds the night like, before had been the, the, the match at the, what was then Celand Arena, the uh, big arena, uh, the rock arena. Mm-hmm. And so they're at a local Mexican joint and they're getting tequila, you know, comp to them all day. Wow. And they're shit-faced. And then this is now, now according to the Fresno Bee archives, the local newspaper, the trio, the, uh, the duo's next stop was the old Fresno Hofbrau on Tulare Street uh, downtown. I remember that freaking thing. Just before 2 a.m. Closing time, the server told Piper the bar was closed, which didn't sit well with the thirsty and perhaps hangry pro wrestler and so he gets in a fight with a construction worker and Mm -hmm. and almost gets his ass handed to him apparently oh okay and um, the timeline of what happened, I'm going back to the B article now. The timeline of what just, happened was, next was. There was no folding chair under the. Under the <laughs> you're right. <laughs> under, under uh, he, the was, he was stuck with a hot potato salad to throw. <laughs> so the timeline of what happened next, this is according to the B, was murky, but police found um, Piper's rental car abandoned on the railroad tracks in Chinatown at Tellerian G Streets. Not only was the car damaged, but it managed to take out a railroad crossing arm. A comically failed effort to get the car off the tracks was ab- aborted once. A train whistle bellowed in the the distance, according to Piper, by the time Piper and Morocco returned to the Holiday Inn, quoting there, there must have been 140 police in the lobby, Piper recalled, likely with exaggeration. Um, 
uh, Piper refused to answer any police questions, but Morocco took it the next step by locking himself out of his hotel room naked and going down to the lobby to try to fight the police. <laughs> <laughs> and and I actually, not being a fan of pro wrestling, I actually remember in high school hearing about this story. Mm-hmm. Two people, and also wow. Under the Giant was arrested in Fresno, but they couldn't, they didn't have cuffs big enough for him. Yeah, or a car or a yeah. cell. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, so I don't remember a lot about, it's Magnificent Morocco, now that I'm thinking about okay. it. It's Magnificent Morocco. Yeah. Um, I got into, I started getting into wrestling back in the 80s, right around this time period that you're talking With about. With your mattress, there. apparently. Yeah, well, yeah, so, I think it was a pin situation. Anyways, uh, that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for the lead-in. That was really no wonderful problem. theater, you <laughs> I tee him up, you trip. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but um, but when I was a kid, I yep. loved um, wrestling. The, the wrestling, like WWF like, kind of ruined wrestling. Yeah. Because it took... What had essentially been local, um, sort of, you know, lo- local uh, circuits, yeah. uh, and made them a national affair, and kind of killed the local wrestling scenes. And uh-huh. before that, like the pros would work multiple, like small scenes. And uh-huh. So you yeah. come with like some really amazing shit. Like my favorite wrestler when I was really a kid, I'm talking like four or five years old. You were a wrestling fan at four and five years old. Oh yeah, just okay. on the on the black and white TV, Didn't you mean can to barely drop. make anything out on the goddamn thing. Go ahead, just watching, uh, just watching them go at it. My favorite was a guy named Moondog Maine. Okay. Now Moon Lonnie Lonnie Maine uh, was the wrestler's name, and he eventually, basically, the Moondog became like a type. Mm-hmm. Of wrestler for a while there, uh, and he invented it. Moondog Maine was very much his own thing. He was like you know like a biker lunatic. Uh, the, the the crazy the madman thing has has sort of always been in wrestling, but he was a very specific type. His you know one of his specialties was like spitting with like somebody would magically have a like a mug of beer uh-huh. at ringside and he'd grab it and drink like drink it and then like spit beer in the other guy's face. And he was oh, one okay. of the great heels of all time, but. Yeah. But so every once in a while, because of this, because of like these small circuits, these guys worked. Uh, you get like really fascinating shit. Like one, like 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 in L.A., I think this is this is either this way or it's the reverse. In L.A., Moondog Maine and Rowdy Roddy Piper were a wrestling tag team. Okay. And in the San Francisco circuit, they were arch enemies. Oh, okay. But every once in a while during an interview, they would forget. Which they or were. Lonnie Maine would forget which yeah. which market they were in uh-huh. and start doing promos wrong. Okay, but I mean, like that, that just but but uh, but yeah, no. You, when I was a kid, like when I was four or five, yeah. I was kind of famous for coming off the back of the couch and we had a basement uh, in Daly City, and um, I would come off the back of the couch and do headbutts on the other kids. I was small. <laughs> I was the youngest of the group, but I was the most feared. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that was back in the day. Well, very, and good. that has had zero effect moving forward. You're feared. The concussion thing. Yeah. Oh, got it. Um, well, actually, this was supposed to be my way of transitioning into <laughs> um, three films by Burt Lancaster. Ah. Um, and because I was, it was the drunk story. But, but your passion for the wrestling story sort of took it into a, another direction, which I totally appreciate. Because, ah. I mean, I love... I, I kind of feel... I, I've, I've gained an appreciation for, for white trash things like... Um, I kind of white trash things like uh, all of a sudden I'm into Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know. If that's a white trash thing. It seems like it to me. Okay, I think you're off track there, but that's okay. But How that's about wrestling? Okay. Wrestling, yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hofbrows, definitely white trash. No, what? Huh? Why a Hofbrow? Uh, steam trays? <laughs> well, you can eat food, kind of a situation. I don't know. Uh, I've always made that assumption. Maybe we're both wrong. Maybe I guess, we're not I guess altogether just, sure. I guess just wrestling would be it then. No, yeah, that's where we're going to settle on it. Okay, well, there's great. not actually. This is a, a, fuck it, man. This is an episode where every 
every premise I try, I try to establish, it makes no difference at all. So let's just let's just launch into it, man. We're going to be talking about three uh, Burt Lancaster films. And what I, what I was going for there was the drunk aspect because the mm-hmm. first film we're going to go in chronological order here is 1952's Come Back Little Sheba. Come Back Little Sheba. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, great movie. It's yeah. been a long time since I've seen it. I got to be honest. It's a it. great movie with a simple premise. Very simple. It's totally character driven. Yes, and, and it's a play. It was a play originally. Yes, and it shows. And yes, absolutely. It's well, definitely it a stagey show. Has movie. A, a, a limited setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, what's great about it is is it's driven by characters mm-hmm. and fantastic actors. And oh, yeah. really, in a way, it's it's sort of Burt Lancaster's film, but it's 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 so much Shirley Booth's film. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shirley Booth was Hazel on television, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know her from much else. I can't say that I do either. But, but here's what I love about I'm her sure character. I'm sure I'm missing something there. Well, okay, but let's, so it's a small town, mm-hmm. an unnamed town. Right. Um, Doc, a chiropractor, mm-hmm. um, 1952 chiropractor, by Burt Lancaster. played by Burt Lancaster, is married to Shirley Booth. Mm-hmm. They've been married for a while. Mm-hmm. It's an uneven relationship visually because Burt Lancaster has this sort of ama- – he's sort of like um, one of the original athletic um, oh. male movie stars. Right. No, I think if you want to get right down to it from that era, I can think of him and Kirk Douglas kind of – who were friends and, and teamed up for a lot of movies. Very good actually. friends, yeah, yeah. And and Burt Lancaster, I think, was had been a trapeze artist in the circus uh, and a gymnast in general. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Despite his size, I mean, most gymnasts tend to gymnasts tend to be smaller or yeah. shorter, but he was legitimately a gymnast. And he's he's sort of famous for that like almost um, unreal like statuesque smile, like a right. gritting smile that yeah. he has. Well, it's not 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 in any way helped by that monument of a of a chin. That yeah. I'm getting a little hard. I don't know about you. <laughs> I am too, but that's because there's a mattress back there. <laughs> it's, uh, so Shirley Booth is not any of those things. <laughs> She's a little... Memory sort of foam. A mm-hmm. trollish woman. She Repressed she, memory foam. If he were memory foam, she would be at one of those egg crates that you bring camping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, but and she'd, it'd be stained. Yeah, you're a fucking egg. Ugh. Okay, so Shirley Booth is his wife for some reason. That's that's what you I think anyone who starts this film goes, How is uh, how right. are these are they miscast? How are these two people married? Mm-hmm. And also, I don't I wouldn't say that the character of Doc played by Burt Lancaster is necessarily a genius, but he's competent, like he has social graces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she does not. She's a lonely, lonely woman. So right. when he goes off to work, she sort of molests the mailman's ears with mm-hmm. her. <laughs> Come in. I, I have a piece of cake. I have coffee for you. Okay. I'm the opposite of a Jehovah's okay, Witness. Come on in. Uh, yeah, exactly. So so they're, so you, you're left wondering initially, like, how are these two in a situation where they're married or they're mm-hmm. a couple? Um, and which, by the way, you know, like, which then you ask that of this movie, but at the same time, how much of that do you ask in real life? Like, how many times do you see that? Which is a lot if you really are paying. I attention. think anyone who looks at my wife and me would assume like, I have something on her. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with uh, you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, she's probably like an ankle bracelet or something. She yes, can't. yeah, can't that's be. right. Yes, um, it's gonna blow off her foot if she gets too far away. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> Um, and, and so that's the sort of setup and there's not much to it except that you're wondering that, but immediately one of the first sort of, um, uh, areas of, of tension or will be tension is that they have a big house and they're childless yeah. and they're going to rent a room out because it's a college town. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Marie, uh, one of the only, it's a, it's a play like in that it has like five characters total yeah, right. in, in the thing, mm-hmm. comes by to sort of take a look at the room and decides that she wants, um, 
the room, and I don't know if this is important, but she decides, she asks if she can switch the room to a downstairs room that would be better. She's an art major. Who gives a shit? Yeah. So, but what we come to understand about um, uh, Doc's character is that he is a raging alcoholic. Alcoholic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of a pretty tremendous proportion. Yes. I yeah. mean, like movie style. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like obviously tried to kill people with a, a straight razor when he gets drunk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely that kind of drunk. And at the yeah. same time, he's a guy who drinks enough where you go like, how is he alive? You know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, you get that kind of, you're like, I've, and I've met them in real life. Those people are like, you know, not entirely sure how this person still, you know, treads the earth. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and, but he's sober. He's got like a year sober or something right. because they're all this sort of talk about how things used to be. Right. And, and now, this, this, there's this nameless, te- it's a, it's a weird thing. There's like this tension every time he passes by a cabinet in the kitchen. Yes. The <laughs> tension of the cabinet. Yeah. So you can guess what's in there. Um, and, and, and she is a sort of like, um, because it's obviously a mismatch Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's something in the air about how she ought to be grateful that she's with him, even though he's been this horrible, um, alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had, she creates a sort of daily ritual for him in the morning where, where she gives him grapefruit juice and makes sure everything's okay. And he has his paper and he's dressed and offers job. And he has that sort of like, he treats her the way you would suspect someone who looks like him would treat someone who looks like her, which is to say, yes, little mother. Like, you know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Horribly Um, and, and, uh, codependently. Okay. So She, she, she keeps, she, props him up. So it's not hard to guess what the tension or tensions in this film will be. Right. One of them is that um, he's married to this woman and the new boarder, the college boarder, is a knockout mm-hmm. young woman. Yes. Um, who's uh, supposedly sort of engaged to someone. Right. Um, but it must be loose because there's this other ridiculous sort of um, he-man athletic character from the college who drops by once in a while to make a pass at her, and mm-hmm. that's his name's Turk. Of course, his of name course, is fucking course. Turk, right? Yeah, it was the it was, yeah, it was the fifties, right? And she's not entirely. I'm talking about Marie, the college student, not entirely mm-hmm. uh, unreceptive to his advances, right? Which right. makes Doc. Um, Hard. <laughs> yeah. That's what it does. Because he looks at his wife and he looks over at Marie and he's like, ugh, I got this yeah. thing over here. They're like shoving it in there. Married to a dust mop. Once and, a month for the yeah. last 30 years. <laughs> and there's there's Marie, <laughs> this masturbatory material. Uh, and I, I'm sober. I'm fucking a doghouse. <laughs> That's terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, there's that. And then there's like the, the real backstory situation there. Well, there's the backstory, but also like, will he relapse? Right. Which means, and I don't think the spoiler, I think the spoiler is okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a relapse. I he would. Does. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Yeah. And then we get the backstory. And the yeah. backstory is about all the sort of like tragic situations. I mean, I guess you can call them that, that brought these two unlikely people together. Right. And, and then cemented them. That's mm-hmm. what <laughs> might be in cemented. In unholy and, marriage. Yes. It, yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like a seriously, uh, what do you want to like codependent? You're as sick as your secrets version of Virginia yeah. Woolf in a sense. Uh, you would you th- Virginia Woolf looks like a uh, it's more fun yeah actually because at least you get to get it out <laughs> this is just at least repressive. just drinking oh my god it's awful right 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 so and the name Little Sheba actually refers to a dog that sh- that that was theirs but really Shirley Booth's dog yeah that she loved and that had run away yes or or put it this way had disappeared and that she was always come back Little Sheba is like. You know her plaintive cry that it will return, but of course she the, the dog represents much more than merely a dog. Of course, it's, it's what lost we call youth. It's a child that they lost. A metaphor. Whoa, well played, <laughs> sir. He finally gets it right. <laughs> so come on, twice a day like a clock. Um. So um. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, there it is. Yeah. I that's, mean, that's we don't need to say more about the plot. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't much more, to be honest with you. No. Um, but what did you think of the film? I love it. I yeah. love the film. I like it for, for many different things. I like, uh, it's not, it's not like a subtle piece of filmmaking because it's not, it's a play no. and necessarily yep. so it comes across every, everything ultimately comes together and it dovetails and bloody blah, blah. And there we go. But at the same time, I like, one of the things I really like about it is it gives us a taste of, um, Lancaster's uh, range because he plays a, he plays a quiet, surly character. Yeah, and a lot of his acting up to this point had been either menacing or yeah, like been been more of a menacing, competent, tough guy situation. And this character was none of those things. I, I love it when he plays against type like that. Well, one thing about like, I think people of that era, mm-hmm. but no more so than Lancaster in that era is is, I think in the old days it was tougher to tell how old people were. Okay, people kind of looked the same between thirty and fifty five. Yeah, which I'd, was, be t- which I'd be is hard, done. Hard put to find. Yeah, hard, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd be hard put to to tell you how old like Bert, you know, uh, like Bogart was. Yeah, during, during any one of those movies. I, I, I don't until know until the could, very end. Yeah, 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 until the end, and yeah. when he couldn't get up the stairs without the you know the cancer. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah, but like I couldn't chronologically tell you in his career where any of those movies came in if uh-huh. I didn't know more or less where those movies came in. And so that yeah, that's what I think that Lancaster I, I, has that quality. I too. enjoy the same thing about it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's because if you know Lancaster and you enjoy enjoy his films mm-hmm. and see him as a kind of a younger, more adventurous man, 15 years or something after, in something like The Professionals, right. after this film, um, it's really good to see him. Um, I, 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 well, stately is the wrong word. It's entirely the wrong word. But you know what I'm going for. He's just sort of, he's subtle. He's resigned. He's got a dignity, I would uh, yeah, say. Yeah. And there, the anger, but the anger is, is very much underneath the surface. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's never very far from that. Yeah. Like, like he's one of those, like, you could be surprised, like, if Jack Lemmon punched somebody in a movie, you'd be surprised to see that. But you'd never be surprised if Lancaster threw a punch. Ever. That's right. Yeah. Any yeah. yeah. movie. Well, uh, and, and the film is, um, it's about an hour and a half long, and mm-hmm. I think that that's perfect also. They, it, it could have been ruined by 20 or 30 more minutes, and, and they didn't overdo it. Right. That was one of the most inane comments I've ever made. Well, in yeah, life, but I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll come up with some more. There'll be some gems coming down the pike. A sigh of rightness. <laughs> um, so, anything more about this movie? Mm, no, good movie. Um, yeah. Quiet movie. Available uh, public domain on YouTube. Is it really? And good, good prints, by the way. Okay, definitely worth checking <clears throat> out. In that instance... You have no excuse, everybody. Go. And out I think that's something that. we do on this podcast too, because I listen to other podcasts, and and I'm not I'm not criticizing this, but like for other people, it's, it seems to be important to say, uh, oh, and a new Blu-ray edition, and I think you and I don't I give, I a, give shit a shit fuck. about that. <laughs> I watch the shit on my I watch the shit on my phone most of You're the time. You're kidding me? Oh no, well yeah. that's kind of awful. My but, little screen. Yeah. Well, that's why I appreciate a good print. Well, <laughs> one of the oh things also God. is like if we go back to the third Finley, which is Rich, which is your dad, the guy who got us into classic films. Uh, because because he recorded everything um, off television, cutting the ads out, three films poorly on most of the speed. time. Yeah, they're like grainy old films, and it's uh, like we don't give a shit. We just love the films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I wish at one point in my life I'd like to strike it sufficiently rich to buy all of the Criterion collection. Yeah, of course, and have all the best prints of all and the greatest great, movies and all yeah, that. Yeah, kind of but stuff, it's really but. just about loving absolutely the films. Yeah, you know what it is. If I may draw a parallel, it's you the may. equivalent of of being excited by novels or books as a kid and reading them under the blanket with the flashlight. Mm-hmm. If you love good 
classic films, it doesn't. It, ultimately, what matters is just watching the film. Yeah, yeah. No, I, the experience thereof. Yeah, I feel a little <laughs> earnest today for some reason. Well, sorry about that, my friend. That you got to go to camp. I almost had that joke in my head, and I uh, said, "Don't do it. It's not worth uh, it." But, but then Tom was like, "Be a genius and do it." <laughs> See, boom. All right, Vern. So. Uh, our next film is uh, 1957's The Sweet Smell oh, of Success. Again. Tom Tom ranks uh, classifies oh, this as a, as a fantasy film. As <laughs> any kind of sweet, it would be the sweet smell of any form of success would be yes. my, my movie title. Yes. That would be amazing. Right. Um, I'm going to go, uh, this is again, um, in the same sense, uh, somebody asks you that stupid, stupid question. Oh, what is What's it? your favorite movie of yeah. all time? My, Why is that a stupid question? Well, because because it because it's really never asked. There's no good answer to it. You mm. just have to come up with an answer to it. Okay. And then and then okay, and here here it is, and that's my contribution to this conversation. Because really, you're asking me that because you want to tell me yours. That's what that comes up to. Well, I ask it because I want to argue with you. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I'm sorry, I keep derailing you. Go ahead. No, that's a, that's part of that's part of your charm, Joe. Okay. Um, but I would submit. But over the last decade, fifty. Ever since I saw this movie the first time, yeah, I would say I've used this as my default answer to the question: "What's your favorite movie?" Of all uh, it's time? definitely one of my top ten. It is. Yeah. The Sweet Smell of Success is one of my favorite movies. I have a passion for movies, but I have a real thing for movies of ambiguous moral morality. Yeah, the more ambiguous inside of the interior of the movie, the better I like it. The more ambiguous, the more. Do you mean to say that it's a movie that a, refuses to talk about morality, or that there are characters who are amoral? People who are amoral. The oh, darker okay. the morality inside of a movie, the more I like it. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Most of the time, I have to say, and this movie is steeped in that. Oh, is it ever? Holy shit! And the same thing I have to say. The the, the now before I I said uh, I characterized Burt Lancaster, who was one of the stars of this movie. Um, Burt Lancaster as being uh, dark and smoldering and sort of menacing. This case, he's playing in that type. He's playing way over the top on that type. Oh, yeah. He is one of the most existentially frightening characters, I think, in, in, in movies, I would say. Oh, would you, would you put him? I, I, I'm a fan of, um, of surprise classifications like villains, right? Mm-hmm. Would you put him in top 10 villains of all time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would he's too. a villain. Yeah, he's he's a villain in the he's villainous in the worst. He's he's Sneaky. villainous in that not only is he he's not he's a mastermind of other people's villainy. Yeah, as well, which is what this movie is really all about. We're, okay, so let's get to it. We're let's talking about it. New York, nineteen fifty seven. Nineteen fifty seven. There's so many things about this movie. He plays basically Walter Winchell is the character that he is, but the character's name is J.J. Hunter. Do you mind if I just sort of go back and, and sort of proceed that by saying the setting? It's it's New uh, York. Yeah. In the late fifties, it's it's driven by a jazz soundtrack because it's a, it's the jazz time. This is a creature. This movie is a creature of its time and place, like nobody's business. Yes, it really is. It, it, it uses live jazz first off most of the time throughout it. Yep. Okay. Live jazz or in the all, the eidetic music at the same time is that same jazz combo. It's, it drives this movie forward. Yeah. It is the landscape of New York in beautiful, beautiful dark black just, and white. The noiriest of noir. Yeah, without it, it's not a noir movie, but it, it, it is actually it, classified. Some people have classified it as a noir movie. Uh, okay, but uh, it's not obviously a, a noir no, movie, and yet no. it takes because that very no fem- yeah. best of that noir visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just absolutely has has it. Ju- it just soaked in black and white. Yes, it's wonderful. As your mattresses? Uh, no, that's just brown. Uh, that's chocolate cake and, t- and, t- and tears, my brother. Mm. Uh, this movie is uh, the ch- uh, not. Yeah, okay, great. 
All right. That's Were you thinking eight about eight your mattress and you lost track of your thinking uh, of your idea? Just, oh, so sexy. Sorry, uh, this movie is? Amazing. I, it's Like I said, it's one of my... This is mad lips. Yeah, it's just <laughs> fucked up, dude. Uh, anyway, this is going to be amusing by way of how shitty it is. I'm gonna, awesome. No, it's a great episode. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip you back into shape here. Oh, watch out! This movie is... It is amazing. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, so you you were saying that uh, he plays a Walter Winchell. He plays. Character. Oh yeah, he's Walter Winchell. Basically, yeah. is the character that he really is playing. Uh, he's playing it by way of, of course, a fictional character because you don't want the rat the Walter Winchell killing. No. JJ Huntsecker is the character's name. So he's a col- he has a column. Uh, he is. It's he like is a page one of those, six column. He's one of those columnists. Yeah. That that is doesn't exist anymore. The context of it is pretty much gone. Well, you know, they in have San Francisco pa- would have been Herb Cain. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Walter Winchell would have been like the you know the fifties version. They have a that. version of it called Page Six, the New, the New York Times, but that's a sort of a conglomerate of commentary. Yeah, it's but not we're driven by a character, but by a guy, like yeah. one columnist whose opinion can sink careers and make careers. any careers. Yeah, oh, yeah, or and or make careers. So he's highly connected to the world of, of publicists. But, well, yeah, absolutely. And our uh, and, and uh, the our secondary character yep. is uh, Sidney Falco, played, played by, by the, the uh, inimitable uh, Tony Curtis. Uh, Tony Curtis, yeah. yeah. Tony Curtis is sexier than any mattress I've ever seen. By the way, he's pretty sexy. I grant you that. He's, I mean, honestly, he's not a a, a beautiful person necessarily, and he, he's kind of slimy even as an actor. There's he looks slimy. About, there's but something this, about him that seems often weird to me. You know, are you familiar with the word twink? Twink, yeah. For homosexuals, yeah. I hope uh, um, he's not quite twink, but he's twinkish. He could be a twink in a, in a hurry. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, but he plays a press agent. His uh-huh. job is to uh, to is to t- find. Uh, entertainment acts and make them famous, and so he is dependent on J.J. Huntsecker. And if Burt Lancaster is villainous, uh, Tony Curtis or Sidney Falco is, is slimy. Scum. Oh, motherfucker! Absolute scum. There is no villainy. There is no. There is no villainy to which he will not sink in order to further no, his he's career. He's awful. He's he awful. starts. He put it this way. He starts off the movie uh, pimping. A friend of his, yeah, out, yeah, <laughs> just without 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 consent or forewarning, just pipping this girl out. Absolutely, it, it, that's where it starts, and it goes nothing but downhill from there. So 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 JJ Hunsaker is is sufficiently um, powerful that I mean he knows Sidney Falco because Sidney's a, a barnacle. Yeah, he's, he's a leech. Yeah, well, yeah, he's definitely. But that. there's no reason otherwise that that Hunsaker should pay attention to him, right? And so, so, so it's difficult at first to sort of grasp what exactly the conflict could be here. It right. seems like it would be an annoyance to watch Tony Curtis for an hour and a half try to try to well, basically try to get in to talk to J.J. Hunsaker into the Burt Lancaster character, but like the, the beginning of the thing. But then we then it unfolds, and it, and this is one of the things that makes it so good. It's such good writing. It unfolds and drags you into this plot, and the and the, and the story is. But basically, J.J. Uh, Huntsecker has something in his life he doesn't like, which is that his little sister is growing up and becoming a woman, and he wants that to stop. He and, wants and, her. And she's dating. I guess their parents have died, so, so Huntsecker has sort of taken on the the, the paternal role. Yes, the Sorry. paternal role, and 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 probably the spousal role in his mind. He's yep. defi- there's definitely it's definitely incestuous it's where he's incestuous. coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Where he's coming from, it's incestuous, and he doesn't like people that he thinks is less. Uh, not good enough for his sister being anywhere near his sister. She's dating a jazz musician of all goddamn things. Yep. 
Um, and Which, by the way, the jazz musician is is played by Martin Milner, and, and uh, who who had been in several. He was in Gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. He, he was sort of a bit player, oftentimes attached to to Burt Lancaster's personal production company. Yeah, that's true, and and kind of a pretty boy. That's like really where he comes. And a, good, and a good actor. And yeah, fair enough. I, I want to say he was in the show in the seventies that was like Adam Twelve type of show. I think he might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah now but, that I think about and, it, and I apologize for interrupting, but but it's worth noting that that the the quintet, the jazz quintet that makes uh, appearances throughout Chico. the things, something that. He's the only actor. The rest of them are actually jazz Legitimately musicians. jazz, yeah. And, good like, ones. and the cutting edge of jazz at that time. Yeah. Like yeah, these yeah. guys were really good. Like, oh, Real hot. Oh my God. Yeah, um, I suppose, I suppose like something hot. like it, huh? <laughs> you beat me to it. Go ahead. But is the Chico something the Chico? I can't remember his last name. It doesn't matter. Quintet, Move on. Quintet, but that but uh, just really fantastic. Yeah. Um so anyways, uh and so uh so basically uh um, Lancaster's character Huntsucker is making Falco break up that relationship any by any means necessary because he's slimy enough to sort of worm his way into a, a, some sort of scenario where he could he could break up the relationship right and he's also so superficially charming enough to be able to pull off a certain amount of chutzpah around women yeah. basically his specialty is manipulating women in this case, he, presumably, Hutsecker's younger sister. It's a film about manipulating people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, about, it's a film about, oh, yeah, film about manipulating them with, like, beautifully yeah. manipulating them, too. It's, and, like, and, like, really well done. Like, a well-crafted plot this guy comes up with. And, you know, like, in, in I think we've watched enough uh, Lucy and Desi or whatever to know, or, or Friends or in pretty much any sitcom to know that most plots don't work out well. But for some reason, like, these work out. Like, yeah. like Sydney is kind of a genius. Oh, you mean... At being you mean, a scumbag. Okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The film has um, one of the greatest camera shots I've ever seen, and it's where Huntsucker's sitting in, in like, 21, the Club 21, right. or the equivalent, mm-hmm. and he's talking to a congressman, <laughs> the congressman has brought his friend yeah, and his friend's girlfriend. Right. And and at one point, um, Huntsucker says to the congressman, look, I'm, I'm not a square. Any square could see that she... No, he is I'm carrying sorry, he her. is a beard... For her, for her, right? I'm yeah. fucking it up. But the camera, the camera sort of follows his thinking, his mm-hmm. internal logic, and it's wormy internal logic. Yeah, it's yeah, a, no, and absolutely, it's is. narratively put together in a brilliant fashion, and it, and it lets you know that that like like there's nothing like his mind is a fucking bag of cats. Yeah, of rotten evil cats. Yes, his right? mind is like your crotch. Yes, absolutely. Yes, a poor bag, <laughs> a poor bag of cats. Yes, sir, <laughs> staining a mattress. His mind could stain uh, okay. a mattress brown, Tommy. All right. Well, I'm glad we. I'm glad we brought that choo back choo. in. That was totally thing. <laughs> Derail back in. Express. Yeah, all right, sleep train. <laughs> Fuck you in the ears. Well, I, go ahead. Oh no, I just. I'm. You know, I can always just the the, the pure look and feel of this movie. Yeah. The darkness. Uh, the darkness and the, the the darkness in the soul of man that comes out in this thing and the yeah. the yeah just on every level this movie kicks for me. Yep, and, and if I, if you were to ask me ten years from now, I don't know that I'd come across another number one. The, yeah, for my list. There's a. I don't want to give away or even talk about the ending, um, right. except to say that if if you watch this film, if you want to go to another podcast called Classic Film Recall, I think it's called, and it's it's um, you've heard it before. It's the two hosts who take on one film and they give it a one out of a hundred rating. Um, oh right, 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 right. Well, anyway, um, th- it's a good one, and um, they t- they talk about this film, and they talk about um, the alternate ending to this film. So, really? in a weird way, I'm, I'm recommending as Thomas that you that you that. watch this film, 
mm-hmm. having listened to our podcast and then go to that podcast, which is only about 15 minutes long, right. instead of that one about this film. Definitely. But but in any event, run, don't walk, don't walk to go see this movie. It's a great one. It's a fabulous movie. Actually, so is the next film, I think, mm-hmm. which is a 1964 oh, classic, John Frankenheimer directed. Oh. Written by, this is one of your favorite trivia facts, so I think you should mention who it was written by. I don't remember who it was written by. Rod Serling. Oh, fuck, of you're the, right. Of the Twilight Zone oh, yeah, fan. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're He's right, a fucking right. great writer, obviously. Well, he was a great screenplay writer. Starring um, Burt Lancaster, but also Frederick March, Kirk, um, Kirk Douglas, Douglas, Ava Gardner, yep. Edmund O'Brien. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 1964's Seven Days <laughs> Seven in day. May. In May, yep. Which, which is sort of like, I think it was released third, so it's like the third <laughs> of um, uh, the films between 1963 and 1964, um, that had similar subjects. So you have 1963's Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. In 1964, you have <coughs> Failsafe. And those are like very specifically about nuclear proliferation. Right. And this is not necessarily that specific, but it, it seems to sort of dovetail that conversation about, about um, global politics and, mm-hmm. and conspiracy and what do we know. And all of this p- uh, pre-Watergate. Right, which I find interesting. Well, you know, at the same time, and the Manchurian Candidate also. I mean, like that. Yeah. So that's also a kissing cousin to this as well. Yes, because you know, both can, but the, they're both again responses to a certain amount of paranoia. Um, little, you know, this is a little historical thing that is that um, Seven Days in May does actually sort of call back to um, Douglas MacArthur at the end of uh, the during um, the uh, the Korean War. You mean the phrase? Well, no, the popularity that he had in the United States. The mm-hmm. the, the character played by Burt Lancaster in Seven Days in May is is something of a reflection of that. Well, except that MacArthur had already been fired. You're, you're talking about a fired MacArthur who was still nonetheless popular with the... Yeah, it, okay, it, around it. which there also swirled rumors that there were, that, that he was you know, the person in a position to pull off a coup in the United States. And that is what Seven Days in May is all about. All right, so talk about it. So we have... A, it's a military coup. A military... Coo-coo-coo-choo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is it? Uh, Lancaster plays a uh, just an incredibly respected World War II veteran. James uh, Mattoon Scott. Scott. Yeah, he even has the name, doesn't he? Yep. Uh, and I'd he vote for him. Just a, uh, let's see, a four- or five-star general in the Air Force. Yep. Uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yep. Um, incredibly, incredibly popular. Yep. Uh, and, and verbal and, and, and tremendously verbal about his opposition to the Air, the the direction that the president of the United States wants to go that's with Frederick nuclear, March. By Frederick the way. March plays that uh, wants to go. He wants to limit. Uh, the, he wants he wants to start limiting nuclear weapons. Which Lancaster's character, which Scott thinks is, um, he calls him like a criminally weak mother at yes, one point criminally. for this, right? And, and not, just a, not a criminal, but a crim- but a but a criminally weak something yeah i think i don't think it's mother but yeah something along those lines yeah he's sister. just he's he not a fan doesn't matter but anyway so so kirk douglas's uh, character um uh, jiggs casey mm-hmm. colonel jiggs casey is an assistant essentially to uh the general yeah he is uh well he, i think he's assistant to the joint chiefs of staff in general uh, as a as a group and and he's fiercely loyal to to uh, James Mattoon Scott, uh, absolutely. As are most, as are most of the people militarily portrayed in this movie. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a schism. There's a, div- a division, as there often is in government between sure. between the, the president, the mil- and- military, and the government doesn't always agree. You know, uh, and 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 that's definitely part of it. But what happens is it starts unraveling in front of uh, Kirk Douglas's character as he starts finding the, the threads of a plot. Gets a little whiff of the old conspiracy. The old platterudels. Yeah. Platteruni. <laughs> the platterunies, they call the, it. The platypus. The platypus, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, nice. Um, so, yeah. So, he's, uh, so he, he, he begins to sniff 
um, some things that seem a little out of order around his general. And they are uh, out of order. he starts looking into it, and the more he goes in, the more he unravels what essentially is a plot to take over, uh, a military plot, a coup, to yep. take over the United States government. Yep. Uh, headed by his hero, James G. Scott, which puts him in the position of having to be, you know, with the military. A whistleblower. A whistleblower, basically, yeah. yeah. Somebody whose loyalty is ultimately to the Constitution yeah. in the United States rather than the military establishment. So, Boy, I wish you had those now, don't you? I want to be, I think, barely. <laughs> I think we barely have some of those now. Yeah. Oh, God. So, And then the rest of these fine actors, um, Ava Gardner. Are, are you talking about somebody to, to lead the, the coup? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Ooh, it depends wait. on how it goes oh, down. Shit, not I a don't bad idea. What, what was I thinking? <laughs> okay, this wasn't recorded in. Yeah, it's right. Well, no one's listening again. Yeah. So um, there's uh, one sad NSA. I forgot to mention Martin Balsam, Everybody who plays. Hurts. Go ahead. No, go on. Okay, who plays uh, Martin Balsam? Plays um, Paul Gerard, who's who's an assistant to. Is he the um, chief of staff? Maybe. For, the, for president. the president, yeah, and he knows uh, he knows Mutt. Uh, no, not Mutt. Uh, he knows Jigs, the, Jigs, the, the Douglas character. We're, we're just sort of scrambling this thing, but because really, what it comes down to is it's a film about whether um, Pert Lancaster's character and his attempt to stage a coup will be foiled. Right. That's really what it is. Right. And you have all these great sort of characters, including Ava Gardner, who was a former lover of James Mattoon Scott. Correct. Um, and I won't even mention how that comes into play, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, and 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 the other question, the other thing too is 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 it brings into Scott's inability when the when the when the trigger is pulled. Yeah, like when he gets called out on this thing, like where you know it could go, he could still legitimately go through with this plot. Like that, the, oh. it, it's intimated that he could go through with the plot. Yeah, but but. But the way it all sort of crumbles around him, and he yeah. ultimately he ultimately doesn't go through with it. Oh, he gets for caught ruining on everything. It. What's that? Thanks for ruining the movie. Ah, sorry. Um, okay, so so it's uh, what I like about the film is kind of uh, this is going to be a strange thing to say, but it's very dry, and mm-hmm. it still is fascinating. The writing is just that sharp. The ideas yeah. are that good. The actors are that good. Go well, ahead. What it is is a mystery. Is ultimately is what's going on here. It's yeah. a, it's a thriller mystery. You know what exactly is this plot? Are you sure it's because not science fiction. I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, okay, you should look ahead. that up, buddy. Yep. Wiki, wiki that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, but it, but it but it's a good mystery, <laughs> and it um, uh, and and it unfolds nicely because Douglas doesn't know what's going on when he first starts off. Yeah. And and he just starts pulling on the thread, and it, it starts coming on on loose, uh, and until you know the bitter end of it, which is a very bitter end for him as the character in the movie. So it's uh, so yeah, it's a really it's a really good mystery. Love this film. Yes, totally worth checking out. Yeah, yeah. Would you put this? Where would you put this? I mean, it's I wouldn't put it in my top anything I can think of, but it's a great film, and um, I I think it's definitely a film that's great, and yet you have to be in the mood for it. Okay, I'll go with you on that because it is a little bit dry. It is a little bit procedural. Yeah, for okay. sure. And I, I also want to mention what someone we did mention was Edmund O'Brien's character, who plays a sort of boozy old senator. Oh, right. And I, I actually think it's it's one of my favorite Edmund O'Brien roles. That, and of course, the the wild punch, the wild punch yeah, of is course. amazing. But um, yeah, it's a great film. I like Edmund O'Brien, man. He just brings an extra. He just brings an extra. I don't know, like a crunchiness to every movie he's in. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's I, just a gruffness that's, that's a slightly lovable gruffness and, you that know, he always has. I don't think we make good conspiracy movies anymore. Because oh, we've no. talked about, like we did the, the episode where we had uh, Manchurian Candidate and, right. and um, Three Days of the Condor. 
Um, there's this one. Failsafe isn't exactly a conspiracy, but it, you know, it's sort of in the family, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of the last time there was one that, that held my attention. And I do like, it's not like I only like movies before 1980, but I can't think of many after 1980. No, suspension, because, because suspense is a difficult thing to pull off with, I think, a modern audience in a lot of ways. Or, or the perception is that that is true. I well, think. it's also one of those things, we talked about this before, about um, the value of black and white. Um, and the value of black and white is that, it, in a weird way, it makes it more fantasy-like, more unreal. Right. And you want a conspiracy film oftentimes to sort of have an unreal quality about it. I think like a governmental conspiracy because there are other there are other types of those that come along. If we want to talk about like Jacob's Ladder or something with like a crazy reveal yeah. at the end, like Jacob's Ladder might be one. Well, you know, one that comes close. It's not conspiracy, but comes close to this type of film is um, one we recently enjoyed, and that's Good Night, Good Luck. Okay, sure. I mean, yeah. it has a little bit of the quality of this type of film, right? Yeah, but again, yeah, it's yeah. in black and white. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's such an old fucks. Arr. Fucking forget it. What, what, I'm gonna go fuck a mattress. What if? <laughs> What if uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper had been in this film? Uh, I think he would have chewed bubble gum and kicked ass. Nice. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a great fucking, what a great band movie. God, we got to do that. Oh, no. What? Can't oh. do it. Ah, shit. It's, it's not classic right enough. Sorry. Poo. Well, Tom, we've come to the end Poo, of a, yes. another great episode. We have another f- fabulous one. <laughs> I like this episode. You uh, seem to be a little sour I, I on give it. it. I give it three soggy mattresses. <laughs> Uh, another great episode of Finley's on Film, and I'm wondering if we have any business. Uh, yeah, we sure do. Uh, please join us, uh, Finley's on Film, online. Uh, we do have a website. Uh, there is a nice portal. You, from there, you can go and catch us on Patreon. Please join us there. Yep. Uh, we really need the help. We're Again, we're, uh, we're using some borrowed equipment we'd like to get replaced, uh, and uh, you know, and only to provide you with the finest of all listening experiences, uh, both of you out there. Uh, join us on join us on Patreon. Also, uh, we are up on iTunes, so leave us a uh, so go in there, take some takes a moment, just leave a comment, give us a rating. Uh, that would be really fabulous. And um, man, we just appreciate the hell out of both of you. Yeah, you. we just really, wait, Tom, get away from that mattress. Oh. Captain Foley track is here. <laughs> so long, folks. <laughs> you fucking doorknob. <laughs>